Hello and welcome to Imagine Europe, a new podcast by the Department of European Studies. And we are live from San Diego. That we are, that we are. Uh, welcome, uh, uh, Professor Benkov. Welcome, Evie, of course. Uh, my name is Clarissa Claw. I am the chair of the Department of European Studies. We are experimenting with the new uh, technology, which is not new at all for a lot of other people, but it is for us. Uh, our new podcast, department podcast, entitled Imagine Europe, uh, which is also the name of our uh, speaker series. Uh, we want to use this as a venue to showcase our fabulous faculty, students and staff, and hear their stories, what they're up to, what they were up to, uh, what they will be up to. Uh, we also think that this is a a vehicle for uh, uh, stories uh, uh, about ourselves in the past that may be of interest to uh, people in the future. So we're kind of also recording uh, uh, for posterity here. Uh, or as someone else said, we are recording for our obsolescence. Edie, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, I just love, I love this year. It's been so great. So many wonderful things have happened. I'm not sure what they are, but they must have happened somewhere. Uh, yeah, that, it's a good year. As soon as it's over. Yes, we should also probably disclose the fact that today is November 6, 2020. So, you know, for those of you who uh, are living in the moment and in the present are following the news, uh, you uh, may be uh, just uh, uh, may just be on edge like everybody else. <laughs> so, <laughs> Edie, uh, we just uh, really, you know, like you are well known on campus and this, of course, is also... Infamous, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. This is, of course, also a... Uh, a podcast that we would like our colleagues uh, in other departments to listen to, but perhaps people in the community may not know you, uh, you know, enough, let's put it this way. So do you want to say a few things about yourself? You, of course, uh, I, maybe I should say you just retired, sadly, from our department after X number, X decades of uh, service. Uh, and um, you have been uh, you well you are a scholar of early modern uh, French and Italian. Uh, you are also uh, you know you were foundational uh, in so many initiatives on campus. So, just how would you introduce yourself to the world? Oh gosh, oh, the world that makes it much more difficult. Uh, I've, I've been, I was, I still am at SDSU. I mean, even though I have the title of being a retired professor, Professor Emerita, I still am uh, running, uh, co-directing uh, a research consortium on campus. So I'm not, I'm not quite totally gone, and I'm still on a number of MA committees. So, so the the notion of, of I think retirement when you're talking about people who've been in the university is not meaning that you're going to now get on a, well, you wouldn't get on a cruise ship these days. But in the past, people think of getting on cruise ships, traveling, um, 
reading books all the time. And I do a lot of that. I did more in the past, actually, than now. But I think um, we don't really ever retire because what we did it was not simply a job. It was an intellectual pursuit, and it's and it's and it's something that's extremely important. Um, and so I I say I'm a professor emerita, and I'm still working with students on campus. I'm still involved in certain initiatives in my department and other departments, and. Um, I love to travel. I have a gorgeous dog and I also have a house in France. So, you know, it's not too bad of a life. No, not too bad at all. I, I'd like to visit that house in France. So how I about do these days? How about for inviting oneself? Uh, well, I, I actually should also say that, uh, you know, this podcast uh, is also the, the occasion for, for it is uh, the celebration of the 20th anniversary of our department, the Department of European Studies. So since you are such a, an institution at San Diego State and certainly were present and involved in the foundation of the department, would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, what went down? Okay. I, the, the, the history of our department is, is a very strange one. It, um, in many ways, it started in 1991, 1992, when there was a major budget crisis in the CSU, and we're all we're used to budget crises, but it was one uh, in which a lot of departments were scheduled uh, for elimination, unimportant things like anthropology, chemistry, and also things like French, Italian, German, and Russian. So at that point, things got better, but we were left with the um, most of the professors in German and Russian had retired, and uh, I at that point was chair of French and Italian, and I became acting chair of German and Russian. So we had this de facto relationship that German and Russian and French and Italian had the same department chair. What year was that? Can you... I 92, 93. I mean, it, it went on for a long time. Oh, wow. So you, yeah. you were chair of these two departments simultaneously wow. for a long time. Okay. Yeah. And, and you know, so, but there was this, this feeling that we didn't want to just, you know, push the two departments together and have the four languages because the only acronyms we could come up with were FRIG, and that didn't sound very good, or GRIEF. Um, so <laughs> it's even worse. Yeah, you know, G-R-I-F, we pronounce it, you know, in French, grief. Um, it just didn't seem right. So um, I, I and, and a number of other people in the department at that time tried to think of, was there a positive way to, to put things together? And this took years and years, but uh, we eventually realized if we put the four language programs, language culture programs together, and tried to have something that united them, it would make sense. It, another department had a major called European Studies. And so we politely um, uh, stole that major from, from the other department. I'll, I'll leave them unnamed for the moment. And that way we would actually have a department that had a certain coherence. There would be elements in the major. And so from that early 90s beginning of thinking how to organize things, we wound up in 2000 with the new Department of European Studies. Sounds like a story that, that is both satisfying and needs more exploration. So that's definitely 
uh, interesting to hear. The, the the I mean, you know, origin stories are always, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, somehow, somehow flawed, but also uh, important uh, as well. What do you think uh, are the achievements that uh, the department has uh, was able to accomplish in uh, in these 20 years well I, I think there there are a number of things one of the most important especially at this time that we're living in is we we wanted to focus on contemporary europe all of the other programs have a, have a wide range but our european program well, relatively wide range, but our European program is one that, that really focuses on, on Europe today, gives you a background of how Europe got to be that way, but um, it was to bring an element of important multinational, multicultural um, perspectives on Europe. And in doing that, one of the things that we did was to, I think, change, and I hope we've, this is, this is true, this is at least what I think, that we've changed the perspective of European studies does not mean studying a lot of dead white men. Um, you know, we look at other areas, we look at post-colonial, uh, post-colonial era, we look at how the diaspora have functioned. So we're not just sitting in, you know, staring at the Eiffel Tower, we're staring at many things in places where Europe has been um, a major influence, but also rethinking what Europe is and what Europe means in the 21st century. So I think, that, I mean, in a sense, for me, that's the, the major accomplishment of allowing us to function in a way that was not being done before on campus. Wow, you make me uh, feel so proud to actually be part of uh, European studies. But uh, of course, this is uh, the interest in contemporary Europe in a multicultural, uh, anti-racist, uh, anti-fascist uh, uh, community or, you know, range of communities uh, is uh, certainly shared uh, among uh, several of the colleagues in the department. I remember actually I was as I as I was uh, thinking about the podcast I remembered when we first met <laughs> which was, happened to be at the MLA in Philadelphia back in 2005 all oh, right <laughs> you know like a part of what attracted me to the department obviously the fact that um you know there was a, an italian position available but also that it was in san diego and that it had this uh, cutting edge uh, description about the contemporary moment uh, which i think we have probably built upon as well do you you know like you you've touched upon the fact that uh, you know like we don't want to talk about uh, you know old uh, and certainly dead uh, white men we do still talk about some of them <laughs> they're not all bad i mean they have a place in the world <laughs> absolutely absolutely we do want and need some of them as well i do want to ask you though the the shift that you've seen between the departments of french and italian and german and russian and European studies. I mean, I think it's also been a shift, larger shift in our disciplines in the university. Obviously, we can, we're talking about San Diego State, but we can be talking about uh, other uh, larger trends in our profession. Our disciplines have gone through a lot of shifts and the faces of those who are present are different too. I mean, I wonder whether you may want to comment on, on when you started at 
San Diego State. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave out some of those things from the past. They're better not remembered. Um, but I, but I think in I mean in a sense one of the things you're talking about is that how the disciplines have evolved and we people always thought of us as first you know language so all we were doing was teaching language and we were sort of a utilitarian we were a tool we weren't a discipline but literature was okay so it was language and literature which brought us back to all those dead white men um, and. That would be something because I, I was thinking about when I first got here, I don't think there was a single woman on the MA reading list for French. There might have been one or two women authors, but I mean, that was it. So, um, you know, as things developed, literature went beyond literature. We included cinema classes. Our, our department actually has more cinema classes than any department except the department of uh, uh, film. You know? So, you know, we included things that weren't in the traditional curriculum. And we didn't just study literature for the beauty of it, though I still think that is a valuable study. We looked at it in historical context. We looked at the, the, the effects it could have outside of its of its own realm. You know, what happens when a book gets translated? How does it how does it function in another country? And so all of our disciplines slowly expanded and many of our Faculty are very, very interdisciplinary. I have a second, um, I mean, a second specialty is in LGBTQ plus studies. So that was something I wasn't doing when I came to SDSU. But as things were more, became more flexible and interdisciplinarity um, was, was, was supported, then I was able to do that. I also, many people think I'm a historian. They have no idea that I'm in a, in a literature department. And what was used to be thought of as a literature department. But, um, you know, I also was able to do the work in history that I liked to do. And so I think that's what we have. We have this freedom to to explore different areas, whether it be digital humanities, whether it be um, racist, anti-racist studies. And we can do that and not say we have to be, you know, penned into this little, little box. Absolutely. Uh, I, I totally agree. Are there any um, cultural events, any anything that the department or the French program has organized over the years that you feel particularly proud of? Uh, on the French side, because uh, I always kind of know that one best, um, on the French side, we've actually had a, a French theater, the only French language theater in San Diego for about, I want to say, 35 years now. Um, and with the exception of one year, there's always been a production. So it's been it's been a, a long running a long running uh, um, enterprise, and it's one that students love. I mean, it brings groups of students together. They make friends, and and I can see when I'm on Facebook, if I look at the friend circles of different students, they're all friends with the people they were in the plays with. <laughs> so you know, it creates a it creates a major community. Um, the other thing that that uh, French did, we've had a French film festival since the early 2000s. And one of the things we, we tried to do in the French and Francophone Film Festival is to bring films that were not simply sort of typical French films, but also look at documentaries, look at uh, Franco-African films, Belgian films, films made by French directors, but could be in another language. So again, it's, it's something that's really 
mark what you can do if you have this this freedom of the department. Um, I know we have our Imagine Europe study you know, series, so we've been bringing now we've been bringing a lot of, of interesting and well-known lectures uh, together uh, to, to the uh, university. So, I mean, we've, I think the department has done a lot. Clarissa, you have brought so many people, I can't even begin to count them. Um, you, you do so much uh, for, for Italian and for European studies. So, you know, it, it also helps. You do, you do, you do. Um, so, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's kind of an exciting place to be around when we could actually be there. <laughs> Absolutely, right? Uh, I think we're all missing that, which is uh, maybe also another excuse for, for uh, doing something like this, uh, because we, mm-hmm. one, we enjoy each other's company, we uh, bounce off ideas uh, and, uh, you know, like we just uh, want to, you know, thrive when we are around people. So we have to <laughs> just live with what, uh, with what we have here. I wonder, yeah. Edie, since you've touched upon your work for the, uh, for the LGBTQ consortium, if you would like to say a few uh, words about it. How did it come about? Because that was... Uh, uh, an important initiative that you spearheaded uh, in, uh, you know, in the past few years. Uh, well, it, it was it was during the period when the university was talking about um, developing certain areas and hiring a large number of faculty uh, in those areas. So uh, people had to put in uh, long, long, long requests justifying why it would be so super to have more people in a specific area. The digital humanities is one of those uh, one of those areas. Um, but the odd thing we found is when we were talking about, well, let's see if we can have you know a, a, a group that specifically does LGBTQ stuff. Um, we realized we pretty much had a core faculty already. So it you know it's like well yeah we can try but and we didn't need to focus on any one thing because itself it's so interdisciplinary you couldn't say we we need absolutely to do this so instead of that I wrote a, a proposal to the um, vice president for research and said could you try to fund this group you know we don't need the the hires that you're talking about but we need to get more people to know each other, to have events that bring them together, to, to, be, uh, to work with the major that's on campus as well, because those students didn't have a lot of, of other activities going with their major that, that, were, that were scholarly focused in that sense. And so um, I got a fairly sizable grant, which has lasted six years, and we're now going to meet with the new dean to see if we can squeeze a little more money out of her. <laughs> That's next week, trying to get, I, I get a little bit is, more money. I, I definitely think it is uh, worth it. I mean, I have participated in some of those events. Uh, uh, the speaker series uh, uh, that you have organized uh, uh, or co-organized uh, uh, has just been fabulous. Let me also remind two major conferences uh, on campus that brought uh, scholars together as well. Um, I, I, I think uh, th- this was a, a marvelous initiative that certainly deserves uh, more, more support. Let's put it this way. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're trying. I mean, one of the other things that I was able to do, since I was also in French when we had a film festival, I tried to get at least one or two films that might have LGBTQ plus themes. So that made it even more interdisciplinary for those majors who might not have had any idea about what was going on in Europe. So, you know, so this notion of working with other departments, working with other programs, being interdisciplinary is something that I think really is what makes um, our department and other departments so vibrant on campus. Yeah, and we should also uh, remember that, uh, or remind our listeners that uh, you are teaching also for the LGBT, you were teaching for the LGBT major. Uh, Also one uh, to highlight, because uh, I think it's like one of the few in the country. Yeah, there, there are a couple more now, but we were the, the second to actually get a major. Uh, we had a minor, a major. We have a graduate certificate. And um, and that, again, that was something where we were sort of things take a long time to develop. And, and I started working with a, with a former professor a while back um, in the early 2000s to see if we could put together a major and a minor. But, you know, somehow we didn't quite get it finished and then uh, Esther Rothblum, who's in women's studies, said, well, I'll, I'll work on the, on the paperwork if you tell me what I need to do. And so she did it. And so we wound up with minor and then a major and now a graduate certificate. So it's, it's again, things some, sometimes go slowly, but, but I've seen them come to fruition uh, pretty well. No, I, I think this also is uh, something to be, to be said about the, the wide range uh, uh, of uh, interest in our, you know, that our department uh, has, uh, you, you know, like you are a scholar of French, uh, but you're also a scholar of LGBT. I mean, the intersections of all of these interests and how they also come to bear and, and tell us stories about a new Europe, you know, like this is the Europe that we'd like to imagine <laughs> and right. to conjure uh, as well. So I think that's uh, that that's uh, um, something important to stress. Yeah, one of the most fun classes I taught recently, knowing knowing that I was getting near the end of my teaching, I taught a, a course called Queer Europe. <laughs> you know, we looked at, at Europe in the 20th and 21st century and different themes, uh, looking like at architecture, how cities relate to queer spaces, um, obviously queer film, queer music. Uh, and it was just fun. I mean, I had I had a great time teaching the course and, and doing all the work for it. Where, <laughs> where sometimes, you know, you, you have fun teaching a course, but all the work for it is something you say, oh, God, do I have to do this again? But uh, no, that was just it was just a, a sure pleasure to have that opportunity as one of the things I could do. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I should definitely ask you to pass that information along because we should continue that tradition, that course should be in, in our books as well. well. You know, I can always come back and teach it. You just have to pay me. <laughs> There's that too, yes. <laughs> uh, let me work on that. Okay. Let me work on that. Uh, I also, you know, want to wanna stress uh, for those of you who are uh, unaware, the tremendous amount of work you've done for the university in terms of service uh, service. Uh, to the university. For sure, this is a fact for our department. When I arrived in 2005, you were the chair and and you have been the chair. Uh, You stayed chair for a number of years. uh, So I I have observed you in that position, but you then moved on and and higher up. You you were already 
uh, I think in those years, perhaps chairing the Senate. Yeah, I think yeah, I was. I was. I think I was not quite. I was on the Senate Executive Committee at that point. Then I became the chair of the Senate. Then I became an administrator for five years. Then I came back to the department, but you know, kept kept sort of doing all my academic stuff, even though I was in administration, because I like the academic and research part more than administrating. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that uh, you know, like that there's much more satisfaction uh, in the in the teaching uh, and research portion of it. But we should also uh, acknowledge, though, that uh, you you had. What was it like? That would that be the third in command, the AVP of Faculty Affairs, like yeah. under the provost? Then there is the president, the provost, and then uh, a position like. Luckily, we didn't have to do anything to step in for the the provost. Uh, most of the time, uh, Nancy Marlin was provost, Professor Marlin, and and she was she was a very active provost. So I didn't have to. I just stopped by and said hello and how are things going a lot. I didn't have to worry about what was going on in her office. But since you've mentioned that Nancy, and I mean, you you also worked with her, and I think perhaps you still do, in an important initiative talking about students, right? And and where our passion really lies when it comes to what fa faculty really care about um, students. The Fulbright uh, Scholarship, you've been working on that uh, for a number of years. Do you want to say a few things? Because these are, these are important uh, initiatives to allow our students to travel and actually experience the cultures and languages we teach well you know? one of the things i mean i had i had started with um for a long time i was director of our of our paris program and we had a, a program in paris for mm, 25 or so years but but back to the world of budget cuts it it fell into uh that area that was not as easy to fund but um i've always been interested in in international uh, connections and certainly our department requires students to study abroad. So it was fairly logical when um, Nancy Marlin, who had been my my past boss, so to speak, um, was going to take over Fulbright advising. She asked if I would be willing to work on Fulbright advising with her and focus spe specifically on students who were in the humanities or who wanted to be uh, English teaching assistants because that was and humanities and arts and English teaching assistants. And so that's sort of my area. And she did um, hard sciences and research. And so that I, I actually technically am no longer, we just finished the cycle. So I said, we'll have to see for for next year how this is going to go. Cause it was, it was very difficult to do during the pandemic. Um, you, lose, you lose a lot of students by the wayside who just, you know, can't deal with Zooming all the time and find it harder to, to keep things going. But but Fulbright, you know, we've had we've had lots of students get Fulbrights and it, to places that that they were I think more adventurous. We've gotten some who've gone to Malaysia. Um, Bulgaria has been very big recently. I've pushed a couple of people to go to Bulgaria because uh, <laughs> it turns out my name is best name is Bulgarian, so maybe it helps if they. I never knew that, but I found it, so maybe they they were you know, lucky to say, oh, Bulgarian advisor. Not at all. But it, it was just, you know, trying to get them to think of places that weren't just France, Italy, England. I mean, that was basically, oh, in Spain, that's where everybody wanted to go. Yes, because those are also very coveted locations. And so the competition is. Uh, is right. 
So, so I mean, I think I think we did a good job, and hopefully, we'll figure out how to continue doing it despite the fact we're we're all uh, still remote. The programs this year, because of of COVID, were pretty much suspended all over the the, the world. So students are still waiting to go. <laughs> They're waiting to get a note. Yes, you can come there again, um, but uh, right now they they can't for most places. Yeah, no, that's true. So speaking mm -hmm. of uh, uh, as we uh, as we near the end of the episode, uh, can you tell us where your house in France is? So maybe we maybe drive along there. Should we find anything? <laughs> okay. Uh, should I really let you guys know where it is? <laughs> oh, I, I will. I will. Uh, it's about six hours directly south from Paris if you drive fast. Uh, eight hours if you obey all the speeding laws. Um, but it's in a little town uh, called Castelnau de Montmirail. It's a hilltop village that was built in 1225. It's um, one of the most beautiful villages in France. And being there is like being in any cliched movie about having a house in the south of France. Uh, one of the things I like about it, though, is that um, there are actually real French people who still live there. There are, of course, a lot of expats, uh, Brits, Canadians, Australians, Dutch. I mean, it's a little, it's a little Europe and, and United Kingdom, um, but there are French people, and so that's it's it's just really a nice little place. Is it close to the James Baldwin House in the south of France? No, James Baldwin's place is is much to the east. Uh, you can you could drive there in a day, but um, the closest. Uh, African-American celebrities house we have is Josephine Baker. Well, that's uh, good enough <laughs> uh, for me. But in any case, it's uh, relatively easy to access uh, all of these places because uh, in Europe, uh, everything is much closer than it is uh, anywhere else, certainly here in the state. Um, so... I also would like to know, as a way of uh, start uh, winding down the conversation here, what is it that you are uh, reading uh, right now? Okay. Well, a lot of times I don't remember the names of the books I've um, been reading, but actually I can I can tell you the names of two books I've just finished. Um, one is called Journey into Midnight. It's uh, by a Hungarian author, Antal Zerb. It was written in, in the 1930s. And it's a, a very, very strange novel. It's about a group of friends who become friends as teenagers, and we follow them in sort of their, their life and their adventures. One of them is a, is a young guy who has a death wish, so he tries to figure out ways to commit suicide. Another one is going to become a thief. Another one is just kind of, he doesn't know what he wants to do with his life, and he's the one who's the hero. Um, a typical thing for him is he gets married, he's on his honeymoon, the train stops in Italy on their way to Rome. He goes out of the train for a minute and then he gets back and he gets on the wrong train and goes somewhere else in Italy and says, oh, well, I guess I don't need my wife. I'll, I'll just explore Italy and she can go on to Rome. This is interesting because the 30s would be in the it was written in the 30s. That would be during fascism in Italy. Mm -hmm. it, well, it, it's 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 kind of I mean, they refer to World War One a little bit, but it, it's not. 
it it does give you the idea that they're living in a very strange and upset world, and and there are references to Mussolini in it. So it's it's you know it's cognizant of its time. Uh, most of it takes place in Italy. A lot a part of it takes place in Paris. The rest takes place in Hungary, obviously. So it was it was fascinating. The other thing I read, see, I've read two books recently. Uh, it's called The Final Days of Abbot Montrose. Uh, by the um, Norwegian mystery writer Sven Elvestad, and that was written in 1900. So it's a pretty interesting, um, you know, not quite Sherlock Holmes, but but very much like it. And uh, one of the things about Elvestad that was interesting, of course, he was he was gay and was not out at that time. So the book, in a way, Abbot Montrose is is the mystery in it, and it in a way perhaps reflects his own hiding his his identity. So those are the two things I read, and and um, I had a great time reading them. <laughs> now I have to move on to something else. <laughs> it sounds like uh, retirement is a very good place to be. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of time on, on your hands to do a, a lot of uh, great things. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we we love to have you go first uh, because, of course, you are laying out the laying down the foundation for the following programs, the the, the following podcasts. Uh, thank you uh, so much, and uh, until next time, stay safe and sound. Arrivederci. Ciao. Imagine Europe podcast is a production of the Department of European Studies at San Diego State University. Our theme music is provided by Holly Ransom Thompson, production and sound recording by Suzanne Foray, project management and administration by Veronica Gonzalez. We would like to thank our host, Clarissa Klo, and our guest, Professor Emerita Edith Bankov, and the Department of European Studies faculty, students, and alumni who support our vision and our programming. Thank you for listening and thank you for sharing.